0: are, that uh, you are experiencing the presence of the Lord in your home, and that uh, you are ready to uh, hear what, what I believe the Lord would have us hear this morning. It's been wonderful actually seeing all of the people um, who've worked to make our first foray into, um, into live streaming work. So, uh, yeah, you can turn in your Bibles. Um, If you don't have a Bible, then uh, feel free to grab one. Um, But we will be looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Um, Now, if you're you're part of Cornerstone, then you will know that we're going through our 70-day Bible reading challenge. And last week I said that... Um, We will either be looking at something from Jude or something from Luke. And even last week, uh, so not even this week, but the last week, I I really felt that God was impressing on me uh, to stay in the book of Luke. There was one more thing that I felt he wanted to say to us. And this is even prior to any of the COVID-19 stuff kind of um, entering into our Our circles or uh, us feeling it closer to home. So I just love how God's timing is absolutely perfect. But um, yeah. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, speak um, in words of power, words of comfort, words of hope. And that we would be ready to have our hearts changed and our hearts uh, and our lives encouraged so that we may represent you in a world that needs hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so have you ever felt like your, life, like your faith was going to fail? Like your faith was on life support? Like it was that it had gone into the palliative care ward? Has your faith ever been so shaken that you were ready to throw in the towel and call it quits? Now, for me, this happened when I was about maybe 21 years old. Um, I just graduated from Cardiff University in Wales um, with a degree in, in environmental geoscience. Now, I'd spent these three years, yes, doing some studying, but, more, but, but what I'd been mainly doing with my time is exploring the bohemian ideal. So, sleeping on the floor of my room, smoking roly cigarettes, listening to Leonard Cohen records and Nick Drake records, um, kind of wearing clothes, dressed like a mixture between a 60s hippie and a homeless person. Um, I hitchhiked and I rode hours uh, on the back of my friend's motorbike to obscure concerts. The more obscure, the better. Um, if it was a crowd of 30 people who only we knew who this person was, then I felt like I'd made it, that I was in that, uh, that inner circle. And so that's kind of how I'd been spending my three years at university. And so that, and so that moment when I discovered what my graduating grade was, um, I was there, I had a crowd of people because they posted it on the wall, and that moment uh, I found out that my grade was the lowest in the entire class of 100 people. And this is the moment that I wanted to throw in the towel and I wanted to sink myself into the anonymity of my bohemian ideal. Um, I, I really felt out of place in, you know, as a, as a young man in society in the early 2000s, because my natural... Um, My natural kind of wanting to keep myself to myself, mixed with uh, my my speech impediments, led me to a place where I felt uh, really hopeless. Um, I I wished at that time that I lived in the 60s because I naively saw this time as innocent and uh, pure and full of hope. Plus, at that time, I was wrestling with uh, regular sexual temptation and sin in mainland Europe, and living a life of riding trains, hitchhiking and hiding myself away somewhere where no one I knew was ever able to find me. I was seriously thinking that as my uh, as my course in life. And so all of, the, all of the positive connections, or all of the positive feelings that I'd connected with faith weren't there anymore. I felt hopeless. I felt lonely, I felt a failure, and I felt at odds with what the world was touting as success. I was at this limbo place where nothing was making me happy. And so my faith was at an extremely low ebb, and I couldn't see any way to escape it. Now, your story may look really different from mine. But what is common to most of us is that we have these moments where our faith is on the edge, on the verge of failing, where it's really teetering on the edge and all it needs is a nudge in the wrong direction and our faith will plunge into freefall. Um, And I also want you to know that I wrote this earlier in the week, Monday. And so none of the COVID-19 stuff had um, re- uh, really hit the news yet. You know, you know, we weren't into the extreme measures that we are. There was this virus thing in Asia over there somewhere, but it was not a thing here yet. Um, I was writing this sermon for a church of, which was full of people, not for a smartphone in an empty sanctuary and whoever is out there listening. That's not why I wrote this sermon. But it's amazing how things can change in three days. Right. This uh, sermon was never supposed to be a COVID-19 message, and it's still not a COVID-19 message. It's a God message preached to people who need hope and reassurance, people like you and people like me. You see, we are people who are caught in a moment and and some people in this moment now, uh, they they knew that this pandemic was on its way. And then there were some who were caught in this moment who, up until Friday, were laughing at the overreaction of society. But now we all find ourselves in this moment. Now, for some of you, you aren't overly worried. And some of you have enough toilet paper in your house for three years. (laughs) Some of you, this really isn't an issue of faith. But others of you, you feel shaken and you feel afraid. Your, your faith, you feel, is at risk of failing. And so I want us to read a passage of, you know, uh, a passage from the Bible. One verse, actually two verses, that sees God speaking into this kind of moment. This is a moment when it's make or break for many of us. When things could go, go either way. When it feels like everything is, is on the line now last week in luke we saw jesus entering jerusalem as the king and since that moment okay it's just a little context so that we know what these two verses we will be looking at what the uh, what the surrounding verses are about and so so jesus has just entered jerusalem as king and since that moment he's been really busy um, he's turned over tables in the temple um, He's told some parables, and he's taught about taxes. Uh, he's taught about the resurrection. He's taught about marriage. He's, uh, he's, he's affirmed this widow who gave her last two coins. He's taught some more on end times, and he's invited his closest friends for one last meal. And during this meal, Jesus leads them in the Lord's Supper. I hope they all sanitize their hands first. And this is the only Communion that takes place prior to Jesus's death, and so with the bread and the wine still in their stomachs, Jesus then speaks into the, into the disciples' lives in various ways. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns his attention to Simon Peter. He looks straight at him as though Simon was the ringleader or the representative of all the disciples. And Jesus says this to Simon in verse thirty-one of Luke chapter twenty-two. He says this, Simon, Simon satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat but i have prayed for you simon that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back strengthen your brothers now if you remove the three uses of the word simon we're left with just 33 words in the niv 33 words but there's a lot packed into here. And so, I, and so I want to break these two verses down into three phrases. Number one is that Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Second phrase is, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And number three, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Okay, so the first phrase, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Now, I love this. Because we know that Satan is our adversary, we know that he's prowling around like a roaring lion, we know that you know, you know he's our accuser, we would be foolish to underestimate Satan. But in this verse, we see a different side of Satan. We see Satan coming to Jesus with his cap in hand. We see Jesus we see Satan asking Jesus for the license or the permission to sift Jesus' followers. Now, this reminds me of the conversation that Satan and God have in Job chapter 1. But what this shows us is that Satan is not all powerful and neither is he free to do whatever he wants. And so it's it's really interesting that Jesus reveals to his followers that this conversation which he's had with Satan has happened. Now, we're not sure when or where it happened. Was it in, in a vision, was it, you know, did Satan appear? You know, uh, what happened, we don't know. But it does seem, uh, if we take scripture at face value, which we should, it seems that Jesus and Satan have had a face to face about how much leash um, Jesus will give Satan. Now, this sift you as wheat thing, right? It says Satan's ass to sift you as wheat. So what does sift you as as wheat mean? Well, if we're watching an an argument or like a debate, we might say something like, you know, if this person clearly won, you would say, wow, that guy really, um, really picked apart the other guy. Well, that's what sifting you as wheat means. It's, it's that Satan is asking Jesus for the right or the license to, you know, to pick apart Jesus' followers, to test them and to expose their weak points and then to hit them hard. It's, it's like Satan is looking at the walled uh, city of your heart and he's asking God if he's able to go ahead and mount an attack. Now, of course, Satan rarely attacks you outright. Outright, He's usually underhand and sneaky in this sifting thing. Um, and, it, you know, in fact, most times you wouldn't even notice Satan at work. You would just say, here's a bunch of circumstances happening, um, you know, and that's usually the limit um, which we would uh, uh, which we look at these circumstances. We wouldn't necessarily see Satan at work there. You know, and there are times when Satan appears as a gift horse. Um, He shows up as a Trojan horse, right? He looks really, uh, really good on the outside, um, full of promise, full of hope. But he's actually full of danger within and he's outside this wall of your heart and he's saying, let me in. Now, for you, this Trojan horse might be a, a relationship that's on, not honouring to God. Or it's a job offer that's morally questionable, but with really good money. Maybe it's, uh, it's a temptation to trade in your values for something temporary. Maybe, maybe it is a time, time of trial. But, what, but whatever Satan's going to say to you, to sift you and to get into your life, he will say whatever it needs so that you will let him in and that's why we uh, read in Ephesians chapter 4 um, not to give satan a foothold now, for Simon Peter, Satan uses this Trojan horse of pride as the vehicle to sneak himself into Simon's life. Right? Because in verse thirty-three, right after Jesus has just warned him, Simon rejects Jesus' claim that he will fail, and he says, "Lord, I'm ready to go with you to, to prison and 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 uh, to prison and to death." Right? So, so even after Jesus just warned him, he still has that pride. Um, But for you, I wonder what Satan's Trojan horse in your life is. Is it lust? Is it envy? Is it strife? Is it sensuality? Is it drunkenness or substance abuse? Is it the love of money? Is it fear? And so time after time, Satan comes up to your gate and he's dressed up like a gift. And you look outside And you let him in again. And once he's safely ensconced in the wall of your heart, he wreaks havoc in your thought life, in your home life, in your work life. And there's carnage absolutely everywhere. Now, in this passage, it says that Satan has come and asked to sift all of the disciples like wheat, uh, you know, to rip them apart and to expose them. Now, we aren't told what Jesus' response is, but what we do know is that in the next phrase, Jesus says this. He He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Okay, so you need to understand this. In the same moment that Jesus seems to give Satan the license to sift, Simon and the other disciples. Jesus is also praying for Simon that his faith may not fail. Now, this is incredibly um, necessary for us to realize. Like, we need to hear this because what it shows us is that Jesus is, is up to something here. It's not something that even Satan's aware of, but it's like Jesus lets Simon in on the secret. It's, 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 it's like Jesus is doing um, a horse of Troy thing himself, only on an even deeper level. Now, to help us understand this, um, I want us to watch a short video from Mr. Peabody and Sherman so that we can understand this. Vigil okay? Delivery! I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Satan comes up to your gate, dressed like a gift, shiny looking and nice. And without knowing, you welcome him in. And each time Satan Satan does this, he's full of glee. And uh, he thinks that he's got one over God. He's got one over Jesus and he's got one over you. But Satan's pride and his hatred of God and you has blinded him to what's really going on here. Because just like in this movie clip, Jesus has snuck something onto Satan's Trojan horse. And this something is very specific. It's Jesus's purpose and Jesus's agenda. Jesus has snuck his purpose and and his agenda for your life onto this Trojan horse that Satan's trying to sneak into your life. Now, I need to pause here and be very nuanced because I don't want you to hear that every bad thing that happens can be laid at Jesus' feet. You know, that's not true. You know, let's, let, let's, let's look at COVID-19 for an, for, for, for an example. Now, there's a lot of fear going on right now. In fact, the fear is spreading faster, faster than the virus. And we know, though, that Satan uses the spirit of fear to really attack us. He weaponizes fear and he aims it at us and what he wants is for our faith that it would fail. Fear causes our trust in God to wear away. It causes us to focus on this world rather than our God who reigns. It causes us to read social media religiously rather than our Bible. Fear is a means that Satan has used or Satan uses to sift us. To expose us. To cause our faith. To cause the failure of our faith. But Luke chapter 22, 31 and 32 seems to tell us that that Jesus gives the license for Satan to attack Simon. And in that very moment that Jesus says yes to Satan, he's praying praying for Simon that his faith will not fail. And why I think this is important is because there is a growth that can only happen. There is a maturity that can only come about. There is a transformation that can only come about as we face Satan's uh, Satan's warfare, Satan's attacks and stand firm. Now, I don't know what the origin of COVID-19 is, but I bet that the spread of the fear surrounding COVID-19 has Satan's fingerprints all over it. But... Jesus wants to use this time to grow his church, to mature his church. Satan wants to sift you, but Jesus wants to strengthen you. You see, the the untested Christian is an immature Christian. The untested Christian will quit at the slightest struggle. But the believer who's been tested on the battlefield of faith, the one who's scarred and weary, uh, has a fortitude of faith and strength that comes from those engagements on the battlefield. And and this strength, it, it, it comes not from within, but it comes as a direct result of Jesus's prayers for you. Right, Christ Jesus, who died much more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Romans 8, verse, verse 22. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews chapter 7. And so Jesus has snuck a Trojan horse onto Satan's Trojan, the horse of fear. And even as Satan is warring against you, Jesus is warring against Satan. Even as Satan is wanting to work out his purposes and his agenda in, in your life, Jesus is working out his purpose and his agenda in Satan's life. And the glorious news is that ultimately God will end run Satan, he will outwit Satan, he will outmaneuver Satan, and he will outsmart Satan. And so friends, whatever you're going through, know that it had to go through Jesus first. And know that Jesus is specifically praying for you, for your name, in the middle of your trial, that your faith will not fail. And not only that, but that this trial will turn out for your glory and your growth and even your joy. Okay, Paul's take on this in in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 is this. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord... That he would take it away from me. Okay? So here Satan wants to sift Paul. He wants to shake him down. He wants to pick him apart. He wants to use circumstances to ruin him. Satan's goal for Paul was for Paul's faith to fail. But God had a greater plan. He wanted to deal with Paul's pride issue once and for all. And Paul at the start didn't like this. All he saw was the struggle and the pain and the hardship and the isolation But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Satan came into Paul's life hidden on a Trojan horse, a a thorn in his flesh, Paul said. But Jesus came into into Paul's life hidden in a Trojan horse on board Satan's Trojan horse. And the ultimate result was absolutely glorious. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 7 says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus Christ used this very vehicle of Satan's attack to smuggle growth and transformation and even joy into Paul's life. He out-troyed Satan. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus is doing the same with Simon. He says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon's faith was tested Simon's faith, Simon was sifted. He will sit at that fire in the courtyard of the chief priest and he will say three times, I do not know him. Now, some would see that as a failure. Um, Satan would see that as a proof that his sifting was a success. But Jesus views this sifting and this testing and this trial as Simon's route to future maturity and to future ministry. You see, Jesus knew something that Satan never knew. He knew that Simon had some things in his life, some major character flaws in his life, that if they were left unchecked, they would come back and ruin him later on. And so Jesus said to Satan, okay, you can sift, sift Simon. You can give him a thorn in his flesh. Jesus didn't save Simon from hardship. Instead, he saved Simon through hardship. Jesus didn't save Simon from hardship. Instead, he saved Simon through hardship. Jesus outsmarted Satan. Now, I resonate with Simon. This Simon on the verge of failure. This Simon in the darkness of the valley of failure. And I I resonate with with this Simon Peter who is resurrected and restored and hope-filled and spirit-filled. This Simon on the beach, Where Jesus says to him, in light of all that he's just experienced, feed my sheep. I have been Simon Peter. You see, as I look back on my life, I see Jesus working through those hard times that threatened me with hopelessness. And and what Jesus did through those times that threatened me with hopelessness, hopelessness, he created that very hope within me. When I wanted to throw in the towel because of because of my stutter, Jesus uh, was creating a deep reliance on Him in me. When I wanted to run away uh, from society, now I ha- have a heart of compassion for those on the fringes of society who struggle to find a uh, find a place. And that spirit of adventure that I had to hitchhike and to train ride, that was used by God not to run away from his will, but to run into his will as a missionary on a ship for six years. My, my cynicism, my analytical spirit that could have led to a shipwrecked faith has actually strengthened my faith as God has used it to help me resist the easy answers and to really get at the real issues. And as I wrestle with those real issues, I find out over and over and over again that Jesus is the answer, that he is enough. My fight with, with lust has led to my heart breaking for all men and women and teens who are stuck in a spiral of internet porn. You see, these, these very things that Satan intended to cause my faith to fail are now the very tools in my toolkit for future ministry. So, Jesus is... Words in Luke 22:32 32 are true. Through Jesus' presence, power and prayer, I have turned back. And with all the valuable lessons that I've learned through the hard times and the siftings, I am now more equipped than ever to strengthen my sisters and my brothers. This was Simon Peter's story. This was Paul's story. This was Mary's story. This was my story. And it can be your story too. And so as you're sat there in your home watching this, know that Satan wants to sift you. He wants to shake you down. He wants your faith, faith to fail. But Jesus is praying for you that your faith may not fail. And that faith may feel like it's at a low ebb right now. It may feel weak. It may may feel unimpressive. Some days you're not even sure if that faith is there at all. But Jesus sees that faith and he tenderly holds that faith and he nurses that faith and he whispers words of hope into your faith. He says, I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Jesus is tender. He is kind. He knows how frail you you may be right now. Matthew 12, verse 18, says of Jesus, He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope So right now, maybe you feel like that bruised reed. You're hurt and you feel like you're falling apart. Well, Jesus won't break you. Instead, he will tenderly splint you and he will care for you and he will water you. Maybe you feel like a smoldering wick. Well, Jesus won't snuff you out. Instead, he will gently blow on you with the breath of the spirit. And in the end, you will burn stronger and brighter and warmer. Than ever. And I know that this struggle that you're going through, whether it's fear connected with global virus or something else entirely, that this that this struggle is going to be part of your future toolkit that God will use to strengthen others. This 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 moment, this moment in time is going on your resume. And as you're going through this time, this moment, Jesus is with you. He's praying for you and the end result will will be a you that has a story of God's grace and God's sufficiency and God's empowering love. The end result will be a you that has a story of God's grace, God's sufficiency and God's empowering love.